Welcome to the Art and Science of Learning podcast, where we explore the best practices, technologies, and research shaping the future of learning in the workplace and beyond. I'm your host, learning specialist, Dr. Kinga Petrovai. In each episode, I speak with industry leaders, academics, practitioners, and learning designers about different aspects of learning and development. These conversations weave together insights from around the world and across industries to inform and inspire innovations in lifelong learning. As organizations and their leaders grapple with the lightning speed of change in technology, implementing AI in their operations, and thriving with tighter and tighter constraints on resources, it is more important than ever to develop better ways of learning and adapting to change. Learning and development departments are essential partners in organizational change. But what are the key trends in that field and the main challenges that need to be addressed? In this episode, I discuss all of this with Donald Taylor as we go over the results of the L&D Global Sentiment Survey, as well as what the implications are for organizations and important takeaways for leaders and L&D professionals. The Learning and Development Global Sentiment Survey takes the pulse of where workplace learning is headed this year, with thousands of L&D professionals from around the world answering the key question, what will be hot in workplace learning in 2024? This survey for 11 years provided a unique overview of what is happening in workplace learning. This year, three key findings stand out in the report. The dominance of AI, the end of the pandemic effect, and a significant increase in concerns of L&D professionals. I'm thrilled to have back on the podcast the person who founded and runs the L&D Global Sentiment Survey. Donald Taylor is chair of the Learning Technologies Conference in London, the leading workplace learning event in Europe, and one he has led for the past 25 years. He was also chair of the Learning and Performance Institute from 2010 to 2021. Donald is the author of the book, Learning Technologies in the Workplace, and many articles. In 2007, he received the Colin Quarter Award for Services to Training and in 2016, an honorary doctorate from London's Middlesex University for services to the learning and development profession. Since 2014, Donald has run the Learning and Development Global Sentiment Survey, which provides valuable insights to leaders of organizations and L&D professionals. It's a pleasure to have Don back on the podcast discussing the results of the L&D Global Sentiment Survey for 2024. Welcome back, Don. It's always a delight, Kinga, always. Thank you. Once again, fascinating results came out in the Global Sentiment Survey and what people think is hot in the coming year. Can you tell me, is there something, before we get into the results, did something really (laughs) surprise you? I was not surprised by the winner, if such a thing exists, the number one choice of people. I was surprised by the size of the vote for it. I was also surprised by some of the things that were falling down the table this year, but perhaps that'll come up in the conversation. And the third thing that surprised me was the number of people who responded to the other question on the survey about challenges. That really took me by surprise. So perhaps we can look at all these things during our conversation. Absolutely. So just a little bit of a a background for those who are not maybe familiar with the L&D Global Sentiment Survey. You started it in 2014 and you have been running it every year since. And it is a unique survey that asks only one question, but it is very effective in highlighting the coming trends in learning and development. So can you give a little bit of an overview of the Global Sentiment Survey and what it is? 
Joel. Um, it started out asking just one question. It continues to ask just one obligatory question. We've now expanded to four questions. Uh, I'll explain what those are in a second. So we've been running since 2014. Since 2016, we've had the same format, which is a table of 16 options, including other that people can choose from in answer to the question, what will be hot in workplace learning development in the coming year? And people could choose one, two or three of those options, but 94% of people choose three options. So almost everybody chooses three. The other questions that we ask are, where do you work? It's a multiple choice question. So people can choose one of five options for that. Also, what country do they live in? That's a drop down. So they're very quick and easy questions to answer. And the fourth question is, what, are your, what is your biggest challenge in workplace learning and development? this year as i expressed just a moment ago i was very surprised that we only introduced that three years ago so for the past two years the answer to that survey well, about 40 percent of people who were participating taken it this year 94 percent of people who participated in the survey responded to that question that's a huge jump and that shows me that people are concerned and they want to share what their concerns are so we'll get into that i think later in the conversation Absolutely. There's a lot going on in LND. And, and I guess that really highlights it, that there's such a so. big jump in respondents. And so in, in terms of who responds, it is a global survey and people from, can you give a little bit of insight who are the responders? Sure. So we've got 3,270 people responding this year from 97 countries. That's actually down on last year. Down last year, we had 18% uh, more people. So why the drop this year? I think because we've always led with the question, what will be hot in the coming year? And the answer is no surprise. AI is what everyone's talking about. So I think people felt less inclined to respond to the survey. At the same time, interestingly, as I say, a lot of people chose to answer that challenge question. So I think there's a sort of feeling that there's too much going on. I don't have time to respond to the survey. But if I do, my goodness, I'm going to share what my concerns are. Now, what about the demographics? Well, they come from 97 countries, but actually the vote is condensed into Europe and the UK, which is about half of the votes altogether, and the rest scattered between North America and South America, with a strong showing in Southeast Asia and Australia and New Zealand. Not enough votes still in Africa, which we're working on, and I'm confident we'll do better in that next year. And each year I try to find new partners for one or two parts of the globe and we'll pick up. The 14, sorry, there are 16 countries, which I call key countries, where a substantial number of people voted. So the majority of the votes come from those 16 countries. It's worth remembering that the audience, the respondents for this survey, are not representative of the LD population as a whole. So if you're doing a political survey, you would make sure that you've got people from every age group, from every class background, and a bunch of other demographics. We don't do that. We just ask people, would they like to respond? So it's self-selecting. People chip in if they want to. And that means the people who come along are people who've got opinions. People who are indifferent don't show up. And the people who've got opinions tend to be the people who are excited about technology and learning. Those are the enthusiasts, the early adopters, and the innovators on the Everett Rogers diffusion of innovation curve. So why am I interested in what those people are thinking? Well, because those people are excited about stuff and later on, some of those things that they're excited about will become widespread, widely adopted. Now, they won't all become widely adopted, but everything that is widely adopted at some point was thought of as interesting by a small group. So for me, the exciting thing about the survey is always saying, right, well, that's what's hot this year. In two, three years' time, 
Which of these do we think is going to be a winner? Which do we think will go mainstream? It's a very unique way of looking at what is coming up and what the future holds. And as you said, as things become mainstream, they fall off the list. Yeah, so it, in a sense, the lower it is on the list, maybe the more integrated it is already. In terms of what you see in the surveys over the past 11 years, what did you notice, predict or indicate the future in terms of what the trends might be? There are really common themes that come out from the survey looking at it over the years. So if you look at back over 11 years, we can see that time and again, the things which are most likely to succeed are the things which offer a substitution to existing activities. So mm -hmm. mobile learning topped the survey um, in 2014 when I first ran it. Mobile delivery, I should say, topped it. And I took it off the survey last year because it had sunk over the course of the years from being super hot to being business as usual. At least in developed economies and in many parts of Africa, South Africa, for example, where mobile learning was very popular because it represents a way of getting around difficult infrastructure in a wide, sparsely populated country. But having said that, mobile learning in general had started high and dropped down over the survey over the course of the years. The same thing happened with curation. Curation started off high and dropped off, but it's not like mobile learning. So what's the difference? The difference is that mobile delivery is something that enables us to do what we're doing at the moment in a way that's slightly better, faster or cheaper. In this case, it, it could be all of those things. So it's a substitution. We can take what we're doing already and augment it by using this new approach. Curation is something additional. It's something where we have to do something in addition to our daily tasks. We probably have to meta tag or find some way of identifying content in order to then pull it out of our repositories. That's more work. It's a great idea. Some people do it very well using technology. You can do a very good job with it, but typically it's difficult to do. So what the difference between those two in, in terms of the data, they look the same. They start high, they end low. In terms of the context that we add to it, we can say mobile learning has been successful because it was a substitution, enables us to do something we're already doing. Curation, which was an addition to our current task load, something which we people couldn't handle. And so it didn't get widely adopted. So that's what the, the two very similar lines on the graph tell us. That, if you're asking me for what I see as a trend overall, it is that. It is that there are very, very few things which go the way of mobile or video of mm -hmm. substitution and manage to act as something which is qualitatively different to what L&D does and helps L&D break out of its current mold. It may be that AI is something that will do that. We'll see. Definitely what everyone is talking about, and you can't <laughs> get away from hearing about it in every every conversation. So getting into the, the, the key findings of your survey, AI has had a massive jump in the survey this year and quite a historic one, uh, in a sense, with a huge share of the votes. So can you tell me a little bit about what you found about AI in L&D? Yes and no. Um, okay. Because <laughs> I can tell you, I can tell you a, a few things. What I can't tell you through the survey, but we can look at it through elsewhere, is, well, what are people actually doing with AI? So we'll, we'll, let's look at that as a second part of this question. It's super important. Firstly, the AI vote this year, or the vote for AI, was absolutely historic and monumental and unprecedented. So 11 years of the survey... To be number one on the survey, you typically have to score between 105 to 13% of the vote in order to top the table. Artificial intelligence got 21.5%, far more than anything's ever got 
in the history of the survey. It was number one in every region. Uh, of the 16 countries that I talked about, it was number one in 15 of them. For some reason, it was number two in Thailand. That will be interesting to explore when I do the webinar with them. But basically, over time, over space, it was unprecedentedly well supported. It was also number one in each of the work groups. So we asked people, where do you work in each of those groups? AI was number one by a good margin as well. So we know that people are excited by it. And some people have said, Don, this is, a, this is the least surprising result you've ever had on the survey. And that's true. Yes, everyone's it's, talking. Yes, Everyone's talking about it. It was no surprise at all. But it was very interesting to be able to put a pin in it and say, yeah, but how much were they talking about it? That's the number, 21.5%. And we've seen artificial intelligence, which has been on the survey since 2017, go up, go down, rock it back up again. What will happen next year? My bet is it will come down. It won't come down by 12%, but it will come down a bit. We'll start to see what the reaction to this overboiling enthusiasm for AI is. So that's the first bit. That's what the survey tells us. What the survey doesn't tell us is that second part. Well, okay, what's AI doing in L&D? How is it being put to use? And the answer is just beginning writing a report, which will be out before Learning Technologies in April, about uses of AI in L&D. Guess what? There are very, very few case studies out there. Even after more than a year, something like 14 months of ChatGPT being live and public, very few practical case studies of its use. We've managed to find between 10 and 15. We hope to find a bit more. We're going to do some in-depth case study reviews. That's me and Eglavin Alskaita that I'll be pairing with on this. And we want to show people two things through that. Firstly, yes, there are practical things you can take, and here are some ideas to run with. But also, the difficulty of finding these things tells us that if you're not sure what's going on, you're not alone. But we'll also suggest some intermediary steps you can do in order to get used to the idea of using AI in L&D. Don't forget, I did this report, which was published back in November, which asked people, what are you doing with AI in L&D? It was a self-selecting sample. 185 people were surveyed. Of those, the employers made up over 60% of the respondents. And of those employers, 45%, 45% of those people who were, after all, enthusiastic, interested, and volunteered to contribute to the survey, 45% of them said, we're doing nothing or we're just experimenting. So we are still at very early stages, even though everybody's super excited and also afraid about it. Because as we'll discover when we talk about the challenges question, it wasn't just that AI topped the question, what are you excited about? It also topped the question for what are you concerned about this year? Never happened before in the history of the survey. We've had one thing answer, being top of both tables. That's really interesting. So from what you're saying, it sounds like, and something that I also had a sense for, is that there's a lot of buzz, a lot of conversation, a lot of people trying to learn about it, but there's minimal use cases, I think maybe in a lot of fields, but in learning and development, it sounds like for sure. So this is an opportunity for people to really reach out and learn and maybe connect on it, but there isn't really anything foundational that was already done and successful. There are some, no, there isn't, there isn't at the moment. Although, having said that, there are some people who, are, who there are some vendors who've got fabulous platforms and, and tools mm -hmm. which do use AI, which have been achieving great things for a number of years. And I won't go into those at the moment, but people should definitely look at those. And there are also, and this is important, some people who are doing interesting things in the UK and in the US and, sorry, probably in Canada as well, I don't know. Well, yeah, and who are doing great things that we should follow 
on the edge of L&D and saying, look, here's some stuff you can do with some tools that are available, which are a great first step into understanding right. the potential of this technology. Very interesting. And it's certainly an exciting time to try and uh, sure. to try and do that. The second major finding that came out is that the focus on data has reemerged this year. During the yeah. pandemic, social learning and coaching were ranked very, very highly. But now data is again in the spotlight. So can you tell me a little bit about this? What do you think this means? I can tell you about it. What it means, I think, is a subject for conversation and for the good listeners to interpret for themselves, mm -hmm. because there are more than one things. That, there is more than one thing that it could mean. So um, if you look at the table of the top five, which is it's quite distinct from the rest of the table of the results. If you look at the top five, they contain it contains two options that are new since 2020, just before the pandemic. That's reskilling and upskilling and skills based talent management. And the other three options there were also in the top five in 2020. If you then consider what happened during the pandemic, that's it's, it is interesting that the other ones that make up the top five are artificial intelligence, learning analytics and personalization, all of which were also in the top five in 2020. If we look at what happened during the pandemic, uh, the the overall trend, as we said earlier, is for options to go down the table over time because they go from interest to disinterest and, and being run of the mill. But during the pandemic, two options picked up. Coaching and mentoring picked up and also collaborative and social learning picked up very strongly during that period. And personalization continued to fall, which is kind of what you'd expect but also learning analytics fell and also skills-based talent management, which we in introduced at that time, that picked up after the pandemic, as did personalization, as did learning analytics, which have maintained that trajectory even as everything else has fallen away this year on the back of all the votes being sucked up by AI. So it's clear to me that there is an effect here, which is that we are shifting the attention of L&D away from some things towards a data and skills-driven approach to learning. Now, I started my life programming computers. I chair the Learning Technologies Conference. I have done for 25 years. I believe technology can be incredibly useful. But I find it interesting that when people make the choice about where to vote, they're spending their votes on the data and the skills-based options and not on the people-based options around collaborative learning and coaching. Even though I believe in the modern era where so much can be automated, where markets are global and where labor markets are tight, getting the most out of your people by having them share to each other and by providing them with excellent coaching and mentoring for me is probably one of the key things we should be doing in L&D. And I, I'm, I find it surprising and disappointing that those two have dropped so dramatically after the pandemic. That pandemic effect, as I call it, was a, definitely a period when people felt that they needed to get close to people. It's almost like now we're feeling, all right, we can forget that, we can focus on the data. So here's, that's what the data is saying, and I'm straying into interpretation now. So the question that I put to you, Kinga, in terms of interpretation is, what happened? Because there's two things that could have happened. It could have been that we got all caught up in the need to be with people during the pandemic, and we've sort of forgotten about that. Or it could simply be that we are responding to the latest thing that's happening. So the latest thing that was happening during the pandemic was 
the word social was around a lot. Well, therefore, anything that involved being social, we sort of subconsciously picked it up. Now everything's about AI and data. Are we subconsciously doing that? Are we, in other words, simply allowing ourselves to be led by the latest thing in the marketplace? Or is it more conscious than that? that that's why I say I don't mm -hmm. know enough to be able to interpret the results. But Kingdra, I'm sure as a student of human nature, you'll be able to come up with a brilliant answer. What well, do you think I wish, I wish I could. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more on what you said, that that it's more important than ever to learn from each other, to connect. And yet I am very surprised by that for social learning uh, falling so much because all I hear from leaders is that I need to connect with my teams more. I yeah. need ways for my teams to collaborate and connect. I feel disconnected. Someone described it as the mortar is missing between the bricks, uh, that what what's holding us together, that social interaction and connection is really missing. And I'm afraid things will fall apart. So I hear this from leaders all the time. I hear it from, from a lot of different sectors. And yet on the survey, social learning has fallen quite a bit. So it is a bit perplexing what exactly this means, because at the same time, I don't see it being integrated into organizations. So it's not that it has become commonplace. There's very rarely social learning happening in the workplace, and now even less so. Well, I, I, I mean, social learning will always happen in the workplace. It will happen more when people are physically together. Yes, informally and, in a sense. Yes, a, and there's yes. much less deliberate, conscious activity to support social learning. That's right. And, and there should be, because it's so much more important now, given the economic things we talked about just a moment ago, and given the fact that we have much more remote working. Interestingly, who are the people you're talking to who are saying, Kinga, we need to get people learning from each other? Is it the L&D department or somebody else? No, it's, well, it's not so much hearing learning from each other, but we need to connect. We need right. to interact. And yes. so it's, it's mainly leaders who are saying that, those who are leading a team or leading an organization. And uh, and those also in the teams, they feel, I feel disconnected from my my colleagues. But it isn't necessarily coming back that learning as a word, it's much more, I don't really get a sense for other people. I don't really know where they're at. I can't uh, collaborate with them as well because I, I can't have those informal water cooler discussions, the informal learning that you were you were discussing. Mm -hmm. And there doesn't seem to be very much structured support for social learning in general. Given this, given this, is there an opportunity here for L&D to say, Probably somebody high up in the organization is concerned about not learning, but mm -hmm. connection. It's a great mm -hmm. word about connection. Could we do something that will help support connection? Yes, of course you can. And by the way, you can absolutely do it with AIs and mm -hmm. tools. No question yeah. about that. So there's an awful lot that we could, this is not from my survey, but from your experience, there's an awful lot of opportunity here for people if they're able to to recognize it. My concern is that if we are following the trends, oh, look, AI is hot, then all we're ever doing is being one or two steps behind on the back foot. If we can get ahead of it, I think there's an opportunity here, definitely. Mm, absolutely. So you're saying use the technology in order to connect and to learn from each other and, and, to, to, recognize, that and to recognize that there's a strong commercial requirement and desire for that, which isn't being met. Uh, the, Ellen, the leaders of the organizations are not thinking I'm going to go to L&D to get my people to connect. Mm -hmm. Maybe they should. Maybe it's an opportunity there. Yes, maybe that's the disconnect in a sense, is that learning and connecting 
are one and the same in a in a sense, and they yes. can and then they can be using it interchangeably. And, and your uh, work totally shows that, Kinga. And I, I would recommend people pick up on what you're writing and saying in this field. Well, thank you. Um, there's a lot to, for people to think about and to reflect on, and that's something that you said. It, we'll talk about it later, but reading your report, there is a lot for people to reflect on. And I think yeah. this particular finding is something people should think about. Micro learning, it still seems to have a good hold on what is hot in L&D. Is there a reason why it is still considered hot and not yet integrated into the workplace learning? I, I hear so much about organizations saying, well, we need more micro learning, we need shorter courses. So you would have thought that it's already integrated into the workplace. I think this is this is one of these things where there is definitely a regional split. Okay. Um, so micro learning is it, it's not as strong in UK, in North and Central America, but it is much stronger in South America, in, in Australia, New Zealand, in Western Asia. For some reason, it, there is a regional split in Southeast Asia. It is, and we're talking about substantial numbers of people here. It's fairly strong in, in Europe, though, but not in the UK. So for some reason, there are regional splits there. So it might be a sampling issue that the partners I'm using in different countries are going to people for whatever reason who are more interested in microlearning. That, that may be part of it. But partners change over time. And the trend with microlearning has been very steadily downwards with almost exactly the same gradient each year of loss. And it's not a sharp decline. It's a very steady decline. And what I think this means is that it's a it's a technology which is moving, which has moved from innovator to early adopter to early majority, and is now probably making its way to the late majority on the Everett Rogers diffusion of innovation curve. It's making its way across, and at each time it finds new people to support it and say it's hot. So I think I think that's what's happening, and that distribution of of how it's being done is different in each country. That's the only explanation I can come up with for this. It was very interesting if you look at the the way that microlearning has performed this year versus learning experience platforms, which they they have fallen away in almost exactly the same pattern. The votes have been almost exactly the same for the past four or five years. And then this year, LXPs, learning experience platforms, just fell away. And I think what happened there was there was a falling out of love with a technology which had reached the point of being had gone through the classic Gartner hype cycle crash. It had gone from the peak of expectations right down to the trough of disillusionment, uh, which I think is unfair. I think learning experience platforms have a lot to offer, but there was almost no region in which they really stood up strongly, apart mm. from Western Asia for some reason. That, that Western and South Asia bolstered the vote for LXPs. Elsewhere, pretty much everybody was, uh, I think, resigned to the fact that this was a technology which was now mainstream, not hot anymore. And do you think in micro learning from your experience, are you seeing that there's different ways of using maybe micro learning that might be yeah. bolstering this? Is this something people can? Yes, about? that's a fair point. I mean, it, it's a fair point. So micro learning, it's like video because we had video on the on the uh, survey for a long time. Video steadily went down. They had a few moments of upshots, upticks in the voting as video reinvented itself. I think the same thing has happened with micro learning that it it. it for some people, just means chopping up a course into bits and giving it to people, which is just mm -hmm. horrible. But it could mean better something that is a series of connected, freestanding interventions that enable people to get an idea, which can then be perhaps built into 
a pattern of repetition that enabled people to get the idea of something. So there are some great companies doing things around this where with very simple text-based or other solutions that get ideas out to people in a microlearning format in a way that makes a difference to their performance. And those companies have been improving what they've been offering progressively. And I think that has led to people realizing there's more to it. So I think, yes, it's not a stationary offering. I think people, yeah, you're right, have found new things it can do. And that's been bolstering the vote as well over time. Good point. Right. Well, it's wonderful that it is improving because as you said, chopping up a course is definitely not the way to micro learn, but it's exciting (laughs) that there's new and innovative ways of really using that type of uh, interaction. So that's uh, that's a good thing to watch. The fourth key is that there's an indicator of significant challenges ahead for L&D. So yeah. you spoke about this a little bit earlier. And the fact that so many people, disproportionate amount of people responded to that freeform question of what is your biggest L&D challenge in 2024? Yeah. What do you make of it? What's interesting is that Obviously, I shouldn't say it necessarily, but obviously the thing people were most concerned about was AI. Mm-hmm. Let me just, but let me talk quickly about the methodology, then we'll come back to, to what happens. Because we look at two things. We look at individual, first I read everything. So I read this novelette of misery that gets turned out every year for me and, and it grows in size. It's quite year. a visual <laughs> novelette of misery. <laughs> That's quite challenging. Well, I mean, it's, it's fair because I'm asking people, what's your challenge? So <laughs> nobody's right. saying, oh, well, I'm eating ice cream and sitting in the sun. It's all it's always about stuff that's horrible. Yes. Um, so what we do is we take those take those words. In this case, it's uh, 27,000 words and and it's in uh, over 3000 different responses. Analyze. Firstly, if it's not English, put it into English and then spell checking all that basic stuff tidying up the data then then look at 51 key words which are the most frequent words which are pertinent so there are words like get and learning which are and change which are frequently recurring but not in not significant because they don't tell us anything whereas words like time and resources and budget do there are 51 of those words we look at those words in addition and and using those words automatically put things into nine categories i then go through and actually read everything and just check the categorization is right and in addition manually categorize some some things which haven't been categorized so that then moves it from about 65 to about 84 percent. so we've got we've got a, a good number of these categorized into these nine categories of course a comment can be in more than one category when we're looking for a word by the way sorry this is a rather long explanation but it's probably important when we're looking for a word we look at a word stem so skill is a stem which includes reskilling, upskilling, unskilled, skilled, and so on. If a comment mentions skill or its derivatives more than once, it only gets counted as once for that comment. So that comment includes an idea about skilling. Okay. So with that methodology in the background, let's just look at what's happened. Well, the technology category has gone from being in ninth of nine categories last year to being number one this year. That's been driven by AI. AI was the most popular individual word in all, in all its various forms. But as well as that being important, the word technology and all the, all the words around technology also was occurring in more comments this year, independent of AI. It's almost as if AI was driving a general concern about technology. In addition to that, The other key categories, which are always important, like strategy, delivery, and the organization. So when people talk about the organization, we're talking about getting buy-in, the ability of people to managers and people to understand what you're doing. 
strategy, delivery, and organizational issues, all three of them were cited proportionately less this year than last year. Hmm. So although there was a higher vote overall, there was a, a, a lower percentage. It's almost as if, it's almost as if people were saying, AI is driving me mad and I don't have time to think about anything else because something could fall into more than one category. You could have something that's a technological, strategy, delivery, organizational comment, and it will tick boxes in all of those, in all of those different categories. But it's almost as if people were so focused on AI, they were forgetting the other troubles. Mm. Well, that's a bit weird, um, but it seems to be what's happening. Now, in addition to that, there are some which, uh, I mean, the, the biggest category that fell this year was the external issues. That's because two years ago it was COVID, last year it was war because we had a substantial vote from Ukraine. Both of those, although they're still with us, are less important now in terms of the concerns people are sharing. But the one category which has increased in terms of people's concerns, it's only the seventh position out of nine, but it's unique that it's the one which has been progressively more important each year, is resources. And the common phrase with that is, we're being asked to do more with less. That comes up again and again in people's commentary. More with less, not enough budget, not enough time. I can't persuade people to give up the time to learn. There aren't the resources to do it. So uh, again and again, those issues seem to be coming to the fore. That one going up when all the other ones are going down, that's a bit weird. And I, I can't quite put my finger on why, but it's almost as if, the rise of AI and technology has made people realize they don't feel equipped for what's coming. And that's why the resources issue supports that in terms of people's sentiment about it. Mm. That's a very long answer. Does that make, does that make sense? Kim? Absolutely. No, that, that does make a lot of sense. And in a, it, it sounds like what you're, what you're, what the data is showing me and what you're sensing with, the, with all your experience in this field is that, L&D departments are feeling overwhelmed by having to learn to use themselves how to use AI and having to learn how to teach others in the organization to use AI. But they're realizing, and probably not just realizing, but it is becoming restraints on your budgets are increasing. Um, so you're having less and less resources. But at the same time, it's sort of blocking out everything else in your in your peripherally, the strategy, the the other issues that you need to consider. So it seems to be a bit of a dangerous combination of <laughs> L&D yeah. having to learn what is this thing about AI and how do we teach it and what do we teach? But at the same time, we don't have time or money to do it. I think you sum up very well. And that word you use, overwhelm, is the word that absolutely I heard again and again last year when I, was, I did a lot of traveling towards the end of last year talking to people about um, what was going on, how they were feeling about L&D. And it didn't matter whether you were in Las Vegas, in London, in Paris, in Berlin, in Kuala Lumpur, anywhere else. The same word came up, even if your first language wasn't English, overwhelm, the word you just used. People feeling the sense that I can't keep up with what's going on. L&D isn't unique in this. Everyone else, I think, feels the same way. But it's still a, a tricky position to be in. And I think that's why it's dominating these concerns that people have got these challenges. Right. And it is, uh, it is a very dangerous place to be because we do have a lot to learn about it. And if L and D is already overwhelmed, then how is everyone else going to be equipped? And, you know, is there something from that you think would be important for 
maybe leaders who are enabling L&D and the rest of their organization, what should they be really taking away from this? Because as we've seen many times with technology, there's the rise and fall of technology and implementation is usually the linchpin on which it falls. <laughs> I would say go out and see how AI is already being used in the organization. One thing that I'm not hearing nearly enough about from L&D leaders is co-pilots and agents, the, the sidekicks and tools that people are using to improve their productivity day by day. If you've got Microsoft 365 in your organization, it's likely that people have got the ability to use AI in their tools. Now, if you can use AI in Word to compare, translate, update, summarize documents, you've already become more productive. If you can use it to help you do your deal with your inbox better, you've become more productive. Now, becoming more productive is kind of the role of L&D. And yet people are doing this without any reference to L&D whatsoever. So what's going on? I think there is a strong requirement for us to understand how people are using these tools and how L&D can help people use those tools better, not necessarily by giving people a course on here's how you use your co-pilot, but to cycle back to where we were, maybe setting up groups, infrastructure, information sharing facilities so that we can say, all right, across our organization, we're sharing best practice and co-pilots this month. And what we're looking at today is Excel. What have people been doing with it? We're going to get our top three super users to share their thoughts. In other words, being the facilitator of collaborative and social learning, mm. which, as we've said, is something which probably is more important now than ever. Right. Absolutely. So what I'm what I'm hearing is that maybe the best thing for L&D to do now is to go out and study their own organization Absolutely. a little bit rather than being paralyzed that they're not the experts in being able to teach, but find start small and look at what is already happening in the organization and, and do a little study, um, which is definitely a, a bit of a different angle for L&D. Here's the problem, right? We've seen our role. This is what I did traditionally when I was when I started as a trainer in the mid-1980s, from being a computer programmer to being a trainer, when I started doing that, what did you do? In L&D, you created and you distributed materials. This is before mm -hmm. the World Wide Web. You learned things from people or books. Mm -hmm. So we still have that model of how we work. That's still the model that the organization works to. Oh, yeah, the trainers, they're the people who do courses. But it's not our job. The, the role remains the same, but the tools have changed. And we have to get our heads around that and be very clear that we can help people learn in a whole variety of ways, help people be more, more productive in a whole variety of ways that go beyond the creation of content. So let's focus on finding out, yes, what's the organization doing and how can we support them in doing it better, even if that means a very light touch of just helping people talk to each other a bit better. It's really, really great advice. And it's definitely something that... It's a challenge, Kinga, because that's not the self-image that we have of L&D, is it? That's absolutely true. It takes some stepping back, a little bit of reflection. Mm. And, um, and of course, L&D is always trying to have impact. The word impact and measure impact always comes up. But yeah. as you're saying, look at what small ways people are being productive, which is the impact that essentially you want, and then build a little bit on that slowly because you can't really jump into the water too deep. And the larger your organization, the greater the chance that somebody in that organization, it could be it could be a PA, a receptionist, it could be somebody working on the factory floor, it could be somebody in HR who's found a great way of doing something which nobody's been tracking. Somebody in your organization, probably several people, are doing great work already using a variety of AI tools. 
and you can make them be a hero and support the organization by getting that more widely understood. Fantastic. Great advice. So the report is already out and people can access it. And there's a there's a link in the show notes. And you said that you hope that people use the results of the Global Sentiment Survey to help them reflect on their L&D practice and use it as a springboard for discussion yeah. in their teams. So can you talk a little bit about the ways that people should be using this report? I've always said, look, the report is for stimulating discussion. It's about asking and prompting questions rather than trying to provide answers. To help with that this year, I had a suggestion from Henrietta Klutz in the Netherlands saying, don't want to just add some questions. So I hit my head. I was like, of course, after 10 years, finally, yes, of course, I should work out that's what I should do. So in some of the areas, we've added questions just to prompt people's thinking a bit. And these are not the only questions to answer, but it's to prompt the idea that you can actually think about what you've just read in light of these questions and other questions will flow and maybe don't do it by yourself, maybe read it with a colleague and then sit down, discuss it over a cup of coffee or remotely, whatever, but use it as a stimulus to conversation. For me, that's the greatest use for the survey is to say, well, jumping off from this point of fact, what can we learn and suppose and what more do we need to know? about the world and our own organization. That's fantastic. That's a really useful way of using it and coming back to the report and and those questions are certainly useful. There's a lot that is happening in learning and development and a lot to be excited about uh, that we already discussed. But what are you most excited about? You know, I'm kind of old now. Well, I don't think I'm old, but, you know, chronologically, it looks like I'm from the outside. I just wish I was 30 years younger because I think this is such an exciting time to be doing the stuff that L&D should always be doing, which is helping individuals and organizations fulfill their potential. How do we help people and organizations flourish? There's a whole range of doing things now that just were not possible. Of course, we have some fundamental skills which we still need in L&D. But I'm excited about the ability of the tools we have now to support the fundamentally human process of learning as individuals and as social animals, both those aspects of learning. I, I'm i excited by it all, Kinga, to be honest. And I just wish, as I say, that I was 30 years younger and I could uh, start off all over again. It would be a great opportunity. Well, there's certainly a lot to do and uh, and very interesting times. Um, so all of that, of course, will be coming out in London during the Learning Technologies Conference, yes. which you have been running is it 25 years? Since the year 2000. It doesn't seem possible, does it? Unbelievable. That's incredible. So this year, it's actually taking place in April on the 17th and 18th. And it's Europe's leading showcase of organizational learning and technologies, a fantastic conference and a great showroom of what's new in technology. So And not just technology, because we'll be discussing other things as well, how people learn and, of course, also how we can learn from each other, because, Kinga, you'll be there as well, uh, sharing your thoughts, won't you? Yes, and I'm really looking forward to doing that. Absolutely. I'm very excited to be speaking for the first time there. So thank you. And what do you think is exciting in terms of what's coming up as you've arranged the conference? For me, for me, it's always difficult because you have to make that you have to publish the effectively publish the schedule about five months beforehand it's not Mm -hmm. it might slip a bit but it's basically five months beforehand when things moving as fast as they are right now it's kind of difficult to know did you get it right did you miss something there's no question ai is going to be important but you cannot have ai in every session Mm -hmm. it's like you know you might like shellfish right but you're not going to have shellfish in every course through your meal right so 
what else do we have? You have to have a balanced diet. So for me, I want this to be a combination of inspiration, information, and challenge. I want people to get stuff that they can use and take away the Friday when they get back to the office and think, right, I'm going to get to work on this stuff now. That's really important. I want them to be inspired. I want them to be inspired to think, yes, I've seen some great things, heard some great stories. I'm going to try to emulate that. I'm going to try to be like that person. This is why I feel it's so important to see people on stage and, and really get that sense of, being together in the same room. I want them to be inspired also by the network they'll have created by talking to other people. But above all, I want them to be challenged. I want them to say, we are at crossroads, a fork in the road with learning and development, and we can just keep doing what we've always done. But if we do that, we are probably going to confine ourselves to the basement of the building and be the department that just looks after a few things that nobody else wants to touch, like compliance training. I'm not knocking compliance training. It's very important, but that can't be the only thing we do. Mm -hmm. Or on the other branch of the road, which goes upwards and is more difficult, we can try to use these tools to get a closer grasp of what's happening in the business to stop being a fulfillment function of people's training requests and become that organizational change partner, which we need to be. Because after all, there's nothing more important than people going forward in an organization to sustain them and to provide differential value. But that's a long way from the tradition of L&D of being the people who create and distribute the courses. So that's where we come back to this business of a mindset challenge. So inspiration at the event and everything I do, I hope, information and ultimately a challenge to change how we think about ourselves and portray ourselves to other people. That's fantastic. And it certainly is a wonderful conference with as all the things that you said, a lot of buzz, a lot of interesting people that connect, wonderful talks. But I love the way you phrase that to for LND to really reframe that they are an organizational partner for change. And and for leaders to see that, that that's yes. what LND is, because so yes. often it's seen as the first thing to drop when the economy goes down sure. and resources are tight. But they are an organizational partner for change because you cannot change unless people learn how to change, learn new skills, learn new 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 tools. Um, so that's definitely a re... So really for people to come, connect with new people, find out who's there, connect with them beforehand, which is great because those two days fly by in an absolute <laughs> flash. I always come away thinking, my head twirling, thinking, my goodness, there's so much more I would have wanted to do, but it's impossible. And, uh, and then also to have come with that mind frame of what can I take back? Yes. Right. So what are the yes. challenges that I can implement, I can think about, I can discuss with my team, um, which is a great way for it to be inspirational, but also useful. Yeah. That's really good advice. Thank you. And so it's a conference. It's a showroom. So what can people expect and how can they sign up? You can sign up for free to visit the exhibition, which is on the ground floor of Excel. And the great thing about Excel now is you can get there on the Jubilee line, which is super fast from central London. And uh, we have 250 people, e exhibitors in the learning technology, plus there's the HR technology show running alongside, which is even much bigger even than last year. So it's a, it's starting to get to be a really sizable event now. And, mm -hmm. and as you'll know, if you've been there, it's slightly overwhelming in terms of sensory overload. Um, and then upstairs at the conference, which is the paid for part of it, which I run, We've got something like 800 L&D professionals coming together, sharing their ideas over five tracks. And in each of those five tracks happening simultaneously, I try to give a clear choice between whether it's 
social learning, storytelling, um, a view of the learning landscape, looking at compliance training or something else around the, the techniques of good implementation of software. There'll be a clear choice at each stage that you can say, yeah, that's the one I want to go and see. But of course, also crucial the that event is the networking breaks between times and afterwards at the end of each day. Wonderful. And definitely come well rested for those two days. It's fantastic. <laughs> with it's good fantastic shoes, with event. comfortable shoes. Very that's important. right. That's right. Well, thank you so much, Don. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And I always learn so much from our conversation. So thank you again for sharing great, your insights. Great to be together, Kiki. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Thank you. And see you in April.